and salutations, friends, and welcome back to the arcade. We are your video game podcast here, back with you for the week of Friday, September 11th of the year 2020. How's it going, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages? I am Mike the Legend, who's glad to be back with you once again here on the program as we were away last week in observance of Labor Day long weekend, the last blast of summer that uh, we hope you enjoyed out there, uh, wherever you are, wherever you were, whatever you did, we hope you did it safely with a proper distance between yourself and the other peoples who may have been around you. Masks are good, no masks, less than good, and hopefully you came out of it unscathed with all your limbs intact. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, as always, I'm the second voice on this program, uh, this week I'm Dennis, the man who's disappointed in the fact that he had to turn his furnace on. <laughs> yes, Labor Day long weekend usually represents the last blast of summer, although... It also represents the first blast of not summer. <laughs> <laughs> first blast of old man winter, wearing yes. his ugly head again. Yes. <laughs> you have to kick him right in the pants, and by doing so, uh, to do so, you need to turn your furnace on. Yes. Or other heating implements that you have, you know... Stove, stove, oven, baseboard with, heaters, whatever else. Exactly. Paper. Yes. Fire in your fireplace. Important financial there. documents. Yes. Important financial documents that you have to make sure that they get disposed of appropriately. Mm-hmm. Safely. Responsibly. Yes. Etc. Thoroughly. Certainly. Certainly. Other pieces of evidence. I mean, debris. Yes. 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 Debris. Exactly. Yes. Other debris. Other household debris you might have kicking around that is good for uh, warming the house that you're in at that moment. Yeah. Exactly. Now, whatever you have that is good for burning, at least where we were, it went from nice summertime, summertime, summertime to holy crap, it's cold. Holy crap, it's like minus five. What the hell's going on? And when I say minus five, I of course mean Celsius because we're Canadian. We use the right temperature system. We do not follow that imperial system that uh, all the rest of uh, the wrong-headed people in the world use. The right-thinking people use metric and Celsius. Yes. We don't really have to dance around the fact who the wrong people are. There's not too many of them, and they are directly south of us. It's true. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like minus five Celsius. I don't actually know if it was that cold, but it was... It was getting there. It was, I think there was one or two nights of zero or perhaps minus one, minus two. Definitely frost. Definitely cover your plants. Yeah. Definitely, oh, when you wake up in the morning, if you have a morning commute and the sun's starting to come out, you, there's dew, but it's a frosty kind of dew. Yeah, so you got to scrape your car maybe a little bit. Yeah. Or just let it run for a couple of minutes and it'll go away. But, Yeah. Yep, one of those things, and you can see your breath, even uh, say at nighttime if you're going to take the garbage out. Yeah, it's it, it, there was definitely a moment when I walked out with a t-shirt and went, nope, went back <laughs> in the house and grabbed a, you know, grabbed a sweater and went, oh, almost made a huge mistake. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, so you've, of course, had to turn the furnace on, as I'm sure everyone in our city did, and probably various other cities across uh, the continent had to do, or certainly at least uh, the country had to do, uh, don't think they had to worry about it in some parts of the United States, which are on fire currently. So Yeah, because of all those gender reveal parties in California, which, if you're doing that, you're an idiot. They're a big thing that's blowing up. <laughs> so stupid. So stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's all I'll say on that. It's so stupid. What's, what's the point of that? Like, if you have to reveal it, whatever happened to just, like, 
hey, so we're having a whatever, like, it's a boy, it's a girl, whatever, like, do you need to set off fireworks? Do you need, like, especially in California where there's, like, crazy warnings about how dry the forests actually are? Just chronic, chronic, um, um, lack of rain and dry conditions. Yeah, like, fire plus dry equals bad. Don't do that. <laughs> there's a reason why they're telling you not to. <laughs> So my question on the uh, the gender reveal pyrotechnic that set off the crazy wildfire, or one of the crazy wildfires that's currently burning California is, so what was it, boy or girl? <laughs> oh, man. I haven't, I've not heard the answer to that question yet. Well, maybe there isn't an answer to that question. Maybe they didn't get one, because apparently they're, uh, they're having a fire. That's what, that's what the yes. couple is having. I mean, they're giving birth to baby embers. Yeah. Some would argue that's a very valid gender. Yes. I mean, I'm not even saying that sarcastically. Why not? Who cares? It's it's dumb. Like, fine, be excited about having a kid and all that stuff, but, like, come on. Like, use a little bit of your brains. Like, come on. A little bit of them. Like... What percent? Like, I'm not even from California, and I've heard about how dry and awful it is there now. Like... Like, there's burn bans all over the goddamn place. What this are you doing? This is new, that California is uh, perpetually parched, that there's just been a lack of rainfall and snowfall. Yeah. And the snowpack is perpetually, uh, for, what, the last five years, ten years, decreased. Yeah. So, everything's dry. And always dry. This isn't new, but people had to go ahead with it anyway. Yeah. Though, to be fair... Wasn't it predicted when we were kids that by this time California should have dropped off into the ocean? Hmm. I recall reading that, although the publications I was reading it in were Weekly World News. Yeah. The the ones that always told us about Bat Boy, who was born. Bat Boy, who was breaking free. Bat Boy, who was married. Bat Boy, who was living in New Jersey. Yeah. Weekly World News. Hilarious. Don't get your news from there. I kind of miss it in a way. I kind yeah. of, when I'm standing in line at the grocery store, uh, you know, just to buy my bananas, yogurt, whatever the case might be, and there's a few, you know, publications and there's still a lot of them celebrity-based, a lot of them home and lifestyle-based with focus and target on women. I still miss just the one black and white uh, publication there staring me in the face of, like, some ridiculous headline. Some awfully ridiculous Photoshop picture of, like, fish baby born in New Jersey, like... Come on. Elvis alive. Yeah, Elvis is alive. Jim Morrison is alive. Yes. You know, um. Elvis and Jim Morrison are a couple in Texas. Yeah, there's, you know, Tupac Shakur sightings where he's, you know, doing something now. Like, dead celebrities showing up as alive, you know, what, weird, wacky, paranormal things, Sasquatch and Bigfoot sightings, you know, things like Aliens that. Aliens all the time. Yeah. Black holes forming. You have two weeks left to live. Yeah. I miss that. You know, back when believing conspiracy theories was not really something people did, and you only really listened to Coast to Coast or Red Weekly World News for laughs, rather than thinking that it's true. Oh, yeah. Weekly World News especially was so over the top that there was no way you could take it seriously. Same thing with Coast to Coast. Back when Art Bell was the host, you know, you people all worked up with mm-hmm. him and... Yeah, I, I, I miss those more innocent days when people would, when it was more entertaining to listen to that and look at that kind of information, as opposed to now, where it's kind of passed off as true, and you kind of really have to critically think a lot more, which people maybe don't. 
becomes a lot more exhausting. <laughs> I find even uh, in recent times when listening to Coast to Coast with uh, George Norrie as the host now, uh, he, he maybe doesn't wind up the cranks as much. He just he gives them rope. He gives them a lot more rope to uh, spout their crazy than, say, what Art Bell would have back in the day. Yeah, but by doing that, it also sort of emboldens people and makes the people listening think, wait, maybe this is real. It's true. Which, you know, if if it's being cranked up to a ridiculous level, at least, then you're kind of like, oh, this is funny. Okay, this guy genuinely believes that he had dinner with Sasquatch. Okay, huh. Oh, this person's calling themselves a Sasquologist. <laughs> That's, huh. Okay, all right, buddy. <laughs> but in your head, you're kind of thinking Sasquologist is a really funny term. Yes, yes, it is. I kind of want his business card. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Oh, man. So, to bring it all back, uh, actually, I don't know how we bring it all back. We just kind of went off in about three or four different directions there. Yeah, but, you know, it's okay. It happens. It happens to us. happens to all good improv comedy podcasts, <laughs> which we are. Which we're going to say we are, yes. Yeah. Which we have now become. Uh, normally, we fly our trade as uh, your video game podcast, but every so often, you just need uh, that little extra bit of funny that only we can deliver with our unique improv- improvisational uh, comedy stylings. Yes. And. See see what I did there? I referenced improv things by saying yes and. Yes, you took the ball that I passed back to you, acknowledged it, and then gave it back to me for me to do an add-on to the uh, comedy that we're, we were creating. Synergy. 100%. <laughs> So, speaking of uh, this, the year of our Dark Lord, uh, you may have... I'm sorry? This, the year of our Dark Lord. Yes. Uh, perhaps uh, you were aware that there's a presidential campaign happening in the United States of America. Yes, I was also going to say, speaking of synergy... Ah, yes. Yes, because, um, well, it, it started a while back, not on a campaign trail or anything, but, you know, some people who are maybe not not super old, but... Our age and older, kind of, not older, I guess our age and younger, I guess, really started getting into Animal Crossing. And AOC, actually, a while back, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the, the progressive um, congresswoman, congresswoman from, New York. from New York in the United States, she was on Animal Crossing and basically was tweeting about how, you know, she wanted to visit people's islands and they had a bunch of, like, photo ops and stuff and whatever else. It was obviously a very calculated political move, but like, you know, showing that politics is getting, she's trying to make politics seem younger and get more into that whole thing. From her, it's kind of believable. Mm -hmm. She's around our age. I still play video games. I bought Animal Crossing when it came out and, you know, I played, played it for a little bit, kind of fell off because, you know, I don't have the time to, to do virtual chores (laughs) because, you know, I have my own regular chores to do. Yeah, but why do those? Those don't give you rewards. Virtual chores do. But I get the rewards of a clean house and dishes that I can use and such. You know, it's... Yeah, but those don't pay you bells. <laughs> I guess, I guess... Where's I guess the reward right. in, in having real clean dishes and a real clean house? There's no gain for you as a character in that. Fair, fair, I suppose. <laughs> But anyways, it's believable for AOC, but we're bringing this up now because there is a presidential campaign happening, and neither one of the candidates are particularly young. 
Oh, certainly not. They are, uh, uh, they're old white men. Very old men. Need to be carbon dated. Yeah. To, to get an exact read on their age. Uh, if you were to, uh, cut into them and count the rings, that's inside their, their torso slices. That's how you'd figure out how old exactly they are. Yeah. Uh, however, they have people working for them who are younger than they are, which, hard to, hard to believe. Is it hard to believe? Sometimes there are younger people in politics. Like, when someone is in their late 70s, is it hard to believe that there are people younger than them? In politics, yes. Okay, fair. Politics fair. still is the domain of old white men. Especially in the United States of America. Certainly, where they have money behind them. So yes. much money to maintain those moneyed interests. <laughs> Indeed. Such is the way of the current world. Maybe it will change one day. Who knows? Yeah, maybe not, though. You know, what with Fang and all them. You know, we talked about Fang before a couple weeks ago. We don't need to get into that right now. But why are we bringing up the old white men who are running for president in the United States of America? Uh, well, as uh, you touched on it there, uh, AOC, earlier this year, when Animal Crossing was the new hit thing, she was visiting people's islands. and But she was going where people were, and people were in the world of Animal Crossing New Horizons, and so other members of the Democratic Party, namely presidential candidate Joe Biden and his vice presidential, vice presidential running mate Senator Kamal Harris, she of California, uh, have taken to now setting up, in a way, shop and uh, their own kind of campaign in Animal Crossing New Horizons. So now it is possible to download o- official Biden-Harris campaign yard signs, and I believe other uh, paraphernalia, in the game of Animal Crossing's New Horizon to show your support for the Biden-Harris campaign. This is, I believe, the first official presidential campaign to actually campaign in Animal Crossing. Specifically New Horizons, but it's been out since March, so it's the only one that could have campaigned in it. Yeah, but in a way, they're not really doing the campaigning. They're just sort of putting assets up and making you do the work. They are. But that's also activating people who uh, and engaging them with the assets if they, you know, take you up on those yard signs or other designs that the campaign has put into the game. Then they might uh, be even more devoutly democratic and more likely to come out and vote for for the campaign on election day. That's fair. As opposed to, eh, maybe I would. And if these people are getting the yard signs and whatever other designs on their characters, uh, then they could perhaps influence their sphere of people in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Yeah. Also, I'm sure it costs very little to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just a little bit of pixel art and a QR code that Microsoft provides, or not Microsoft, Nintendo provides the infrastructure for you to share it. It seems like it's all pretty much uh, e- like easily done. Yeah, so. just through the Switch Online app, you scan the QR codes. There's four designs for the Biden-Harris campaign yard signs. Uh, there's the official Biden-Harris logo. There's a Team Joe logo. Uh, there's the Team Joe Pride logo. And there's also an image of, an image of aviator sunglasses shaded in red, white, and blue, which I suppose is... Uh, it's supposed to be maybe a reference to the sunglasses Joe Biden wears, maybe? I believe so. Okay. Which is slightly obtuse. Maybe if it said Biden underneath it. Yeah, because to me that just kind of screams more generic, like, what, 70s cop? Yes. 
Although if it had the mustache underneath too, yeah, then it'd be even more seventies cut. Like like what they were referencing in the sabotage video for that the, the Beastie Boys did. Precisely. Yeah. So nevertheless, uh, the young people working on this particular presidential campaign. Uh, taking advantage of Animal Crossing New Horizons. And if you are in politics, this is a more challenging year than ever to get your campaign out and reach people, given the really inability to actually hold large rallies. And, well, you shouldn't be holding large rallies. That hasn't stopped one candidate, nevertheless. Yes, the one candidate playing to his base, who doesn't listen to science. Yes, who don't believe that this... Current uh, pandemic sweeping the globe is anything to be concerned about. Yeah. Yeah. So that they are actually holding rallies, bringing people together in large numbers. Uh, the Democratic Party is not. So then you have to campaign in a different fashion. Yeah. And such is the function of politics at this current time. Yeah, it sure is. But it's, uh, it's a neat idea. Uh, I think the first time we've really seen uh, video games being taken up as a means of reaching people in large numbers during a large presidential campaign. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there have been experiments in the past, but that's all they really were. Maybe Second Life. Second Life, maybe. Maybe World of Warcraft. I, I feel like there's been little, you know, pockets of in, like things happening here and there, but never to this, never something that maybe has the groundswell of Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. Like, tons of people are in Animal Crossing even still. And yeah, it's it's just a thing where a lot of people are, so it makes sense to go there. Absolutely. Again, the cost is minimal, so yeah, hey, it can't hurt. Yeah, there's that. And potentially you reach a younger audience, so cool. I'm sure this is something we will see in campaigns in the future. Um, we may even see uh, candidates, uh, oh God, maybe there will be a day they're doing their own Twitch stream of you know, doing a Q&A with uh, the voting public as they were playing whatever game and, and whatnot. Who knows? That's something AOC would do. Yeah, I totally see that happening. But uh, we shall see uh, how it all unfolds in the days and weeks ahead as there's only about two months until Election Day in the yeah. United States. And we'll see where things go after that. Yes, no matter what the actual election outcome is, we'll have to see what happens after Election Day. No matter what happens... It'll be a different time in that country to the south of us, I'll tell you what. (laughs) Uh, But moving on, so uh, we spoke of uh, that interesting use of technology, but it's not necessarily the most creative use of technology. No, I think better uses of technology are when you just kind of make, like, you know how there's, like, smart devices and, well, basically anything with a screen, ATM machines, your fridges, your old flip phones, maybe some watches that might have existed before, you know, the smart watches of now, making them do things that maybe they weren't designed to do. And sort of one of the interesting benchmarks that people have done in the past is making things play the game Doom. You know, Doom, like the, the classic first-person shooter from, from id Software, the... Classic John Carmack, John Romero, bloodbath, fight all the demons from hell. Basically one of the first, uh, the pinnacles of early uh, first-person shooting games. Yeah. Between that and Wolfenstein. Yeah. So, you know, there, I'm sure we've seen videos on the internet of Doom being played on a plethora of things. From, you know, as I mentioned, ATM machines to, you know, the smart fridges and whatnot to 
I remember seeing like way back in the day that you could put Doom on a Texas Instruments graphing calculator. Nice. So that would have been fun. All those times in grade 12 math where I had to be bored out of my mind. Well, anyways, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, this past week, a hacker did a very interesting thing. He put a, he put a Doom on something that I don't think you could have put Doom on. In theory, no, you can't. This took some finagling. It uh, wasn't wasn't easy to do, and when it was all said and done, the object that was used wasn't really much of the object that there was originally. It was mostly just the shell that remained. Yeah, just the form factor. You know, for better or for worse. Hopefully it wasn't a used device, but... Uh, Hopefully it wasn't one that was needed anytime soon. Yeah. But what this object was that this home hacker used was a... Home pregnancy test. Yeah, so you know how normally pregnancy tests have the little screen on it that just basically aren't really a fully featured screen at all. They just sort of like have a line or whatever on it just to show yes or no. Yeah, or even more clearly convey pregnant, not pregnant. Literally spell it out for you. Yeah. It's a very simple LCD screen. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very simple, very small computer inside. So what this home hacker did... Uh, I believe the individual's name is Foon Turing, uh, apparently based out of California. Uh, what they did was basically ripped out whatever was inside this home pregnancy test. Again, hopefully it wasn't needed anytime soon. Uh, and rejigged the electronics inside and got it working. Now, this all kind of started a couple days prior when they rigged up, I guess, a screen to this to an external computing device and were playing videos like uh, Rick Astley's never going to give you up on this screen inside a home pregnancy test. Again, a very small screen, which I think had only a resolution of, uh, I, I think it was, a, well, a size of 128 by 32, which is barely resolution at all. I don't know how much lower you can go without it just becoming a postage stamp. Yeah, I mean, I think that's smaller than a postage stamp. Yes, actually, I do believe it is. Like, a, yeah. So, basically, just mucking around, got it, this uh, screen in the system to play these videos, and then, of course, the internet started asking, "Well, can you play Doom?" Because the internet it likes seeing things playing Doom that shouldn't really be able to play Doom. So, needless to say, the next day, yes, the guy, the person, got it working and got it playing Doom, actually on this thing. So. It is basically, as as I said, a shell of the home pregnancy test. Uh, the home pregnancy test CPU was gone. Uh, the screen was switched out for an OLED screen. Um, basically, this was just a test to see, can you make it something that small work like that and play Doom? Yeah, it's just forcing a tiny bunch of microprocessors and, you know, um, chips and stuff into a very tiny form factor. Yeah, with with Foon themselves saying, quote, to clarify what I'm doing here, this is a replacement display and a replacement microcontroller. I'm not using any of the original tester other than the shell. Because a home pregnancy test, on its own, right out of the box, cannot play Doom. It can tell you if someone's pregnant or not pregnant, cannot play Doom. It does not have anything inside it that would uh, remotely be able to play a video game such as Doom, even... 
at a very small resolution, even on that size screen, even if it was just running terribly. Yeah, just no. <laughs> Doesn't it really have the video control playback? No. Or the video card, whatnot. So, neat idea. Doom has now been played, in a sense, on a home pregnancy test. Yeah, in a sense. In a sense. So now the question is, what's next for the Doom-playing community? <laughs> hey, Doom-playing Doom community, what's next? We want to hear from you. Give us your thoughts. If you have suggestions of what you would like to see Doom running on next, you can email us, info at thearcadeshow.com, or get in touch with us through social media. Follow us on Twitter, at The Arcade Show, and like our page on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Arcade Show. Yeah. So, um, yeah, moving away from doom and pregnancy tests and presidential campaigns and all that other nonsense. Yes. You know, what, what I think is more interesting this week, first of all, is that Microsoft basically ripped off the band-aid of being the first company to reveal a lot more information about the next <laughs> console generation. So that weird game of chicken that was happening is over. In a sense. In a sense. In a, yeah, we're going to keep saying that this week because, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they were the first ones to fire. Now they have to wait for PlayStation to fire back with more of their own details. But they were the ones, Microsoft were the ones who were brave enough to do it first. So, first of all, kudos to Microsoft for actually ripping that band-aid off and getting it over with because that must have been hard. That's true. Probably caught some hair and just ripped it right out. Uh, they may have had to bite a, uh, bite a towel as they did it. Yeah. Collectively as a corporation, bite a towel. Yep. In a sense. Yeah, in a sense. <laughs> but, uh, it was this weird thing for just weeks into months of Sony and Microsoft circling each other, knowing each one ha- or each other has their next gen system coming out that they're coming out this fall. They're basically targeting the same audience in the same time frame. Yeah. And both of them doing what they can to not release uh, any more details than what they need to, than what the other one already has or whatnot. So uh, finally Microsoft did, and so we learned a couple things this week. And strangely, uh, of all days to release the information, specifically for release date and price point, which we'll talk about in a moment here, but uh, Microsoft released that information on September 9th of this week, which apparently is the 25th anniversary of the Sony PlayStation, the original PlayStation being released. That's uh, that's kind of a, I believe the kids would say, a flex. It is. Uh, Sony, you waited this long, so uh, we're going to take your day. Yeah, that this is... So saying that kind of made me... Reminded me of a story that The Onion came out with a while back when, you know, this kind of circling started first started happening, like, about a year ago, I'd say, when... It was, they, you know, they, they released the thing where it was like, um, I'm paraphrasing, I don't know the exact wording of the, the headline, but it was something along the lines of, um, Microsoft, like, really takes the wind out of PlayStation's PlayStation 5 announcement by, by announcing the PlayStation 6. <laughs> Which is just hilarious. I mean, such an onion story, but yeah, so. Yeah, it's like, by doing it on the 25th anniversary of the original PlayStation, it's basically going like, hey, we're honoring your history better than you are. What are you, what, where's, <laughs> what's going on? What, what are you doing? Like, where are you at? Are you sleeping? 
Remember when a move like this would have been known as uh, being pwned or pwnage? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm well, from that era. Yeah, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> Hearing you use the term flex may be a little uncomfortable. Yeah, because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep it more current, but... And hip with the kids, hip I understand. with the kids, but, you know, I'm a man in his late 30s, okay? <laughs> I feel wrong saying that. We are men of distinguished age. <laughs> yes. So, in a sense. Yes. This would have been a, you just got pwned kind of thing. Sure did. Uh, and Sony did. Uh, pwned right in the face, uh, bleeding from uh, their nose, bruising around the eye. Uh, there's going to be some cuts on the face as well to Sony's corporate face. And what we learned, first we learned after a series of leaks that Microsoft officially confirmed uh, what the Xbox Series S is, what it looks like, and kind of what it has inside it. So to catch you up, if you've uh, been busy do- tending to work, if you've been busy dealing with more important things in your life for the past several days and have missed all this, totally understand. We're going to do our best to catch you up. The Xbox Series S is literally the Xbox Series Small. It's the smaller, uh, essentially, couple of years down the road redesign of the Xbox Ser- Series X. Yeah. But here from launch. So it is the same idea, and majority of the guts are the same as its big counterpart, the Xbox Series X. But the S is smaller and is lacking an optical drive. And it is, I believe, 60%, Microsoft has said, 60% smaller than the Xbox Series X. Yeah. So if you, can you recall what the uh, Series X looks like? It's basically that standing black garbage can. Or just that weird obelisk type structure. Yeah. Without the pointy end. Yeah, I don't think it's that big, but it's it's still kind of like ungainly looking. Like it's like. It's not great looking. It's just sort of like very almost brutalist in design. Yeah, it's it's an unrefined rectangle with the with no curves to it really. So the Xbox Series S is a smaller version of that. If you were to slice it in half, or I guess in forty in sixty forty split, yes, you end up with this piece that is the Series S, which ha which is white. It comes in the one color. It is white compared to the X's pure black body. And this white Series S has just a big black speaker grill on the top of it, on the front face of it. That is the exhaust port, or, or an exhaust port for uh, ventilating inside. Yes, because you have to leave an o- a window open while it's running as well, because there's going to be a lot of smog coming out of it, like a lot of industrial waste. And you have to shovel a lot of coal into the back of it to get it running. Yeah, that's actually how Microsoft is going to make their money on this, is sales of coal for the Xbox Series S. Yeah, they really went hard in the... Uh, the stocks for coal this, these last couple of years, and they really want to pay it up. They, they want the, those to, you know, that investment to really be fruitful. It's true. Everyone thought it was weird at the time. I mean, Microsoft was buying up a lot of coal at depre- uh, depressed prices, uh, but now it makes sense why they call uh, the head of Microsoft Phil Coal Baron Spencer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or head of Xbox, I should say. <laughs> um, not Microsoft, that's Satya Nadella. Yeah, Satya Coal Baron. Coal Baron Nadella. I believe everyone receives the moniker of Coal Baron when they become uh, some they sort of president. Some sort of, yeah, manager, CEO, president, whatever of Microsoft. So all the entry-level noobs at Microsoft are just hoping one day to earn that Coal Baron name. They're, they're coal miners is what they are. <laughs> they go home every day from the uh, Microsoft office, the campus at Redmond, Washington, just covered in soot. 
yeah, that's what the, the Microsoft is actually just the words mining soot, and then you know a couple of other words just at the end, just all kind of put together to combine the word Microsoft. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. mining coal retrieval soot and financial terror. Yes. <laughs> All in one. So that's actually how Microsoft got its name. <laughs> yes. He didn't know that. Yes. Hashtag real facts. Hashtag not lies. Hashtag totally not bullshit. <laughs> Hashtag believe us. Yes. <laughs> so again, oh, the Xbox Series S has the white... It looks like a, a big speaker uh, shell on the front of it. Yeah. So you can lay it down. You can stand it up. I don't know what's going to work best. I believe there's exhaust ports on two or three ends of it as well. Why it needs that much exhaust port, I don't know, considering there's a, not an optical drive in the system. Again, not no optical drive. This is a pure digital game console, uh, and it's got a solid-state drive in it as well. So the heat coming off of what's in there shouldn't be that great, I wouldn't think. Yeah, though, I mean, typically they the heat wouldn't be coming from optical optical drives and things like that. It would normally be coming from your CPUs and of that nature and GPUs and whatnot. So unless the, uh, the motherboard is uh, designed and oriented in a way. So it's basically right under that. So it's getting direct cooling. It should be. Yeah. So hopefully, I mean, so if you don't cover that on your Xbox series S, you should be fine. Yeah. Don't, don't ever cover fans on computers. That's a bad idea. That's a good way to fry some chips. That's a good way to maybe potentially start a fire. I mean, you're getting me hungry with this talk of fried chips. <laughs> okay, fair. So the Xbox Series S, as I said, it's the majority of the guts inside it are the same as its bigger sibling, the Xbox Series X. Uh, the big distinction being that the Series X can do resolutions up to 4K just right out of the box, no problem. That's what it's designed for. It's meant to look as freaking amazing as possible. The Series S can do resolutions up to 1440 at 120 frames per second, and then upscale to 440. So it's not native 4K out of the box. If that is a concern for you, take this into consideration when you're deciding which next-gen Xbox you will be getting. Because with the smaller form factor, with the reduction in specs between the uh, Series X and the Series S, there, of course, comes a difference in price point, which we now have official price points on. Yeah, so the Series S, as we've been talking about, this scaled-down version, is going to be 299 US dollars, which is 200 US dollars less than what the Series X is going to be. Because the Series X is going to retail on launch day at... 499 US dollars. Yes. So the ball is now in PlayStation's or Microsoft, uh, Sony, Sony's court because Microsoft have now fired the first shot. They have a pretty strong salvo across the bow. Oh, by the way, I mentioned on launch day, that launch day we have as well. Yes, we sure do. So when we said they've revealed a bunch of information and ripped off a band-aid, they've really done it. So it's basically like, you know, one of those big ones that like, you know, if you get on your arm somewhere and just kind of all mushed around a bunch of your arm hair or something, and you just really don't want to have to rip it off, but like, you kind of have to. Like one of those square ones yeah. with, like, the big padded gauze in the middle. Yeah. And the, you know, the sealant is all around the edge. Yeah. Or the adhesive, not sealant. This isn't, it's not any sort of industrial. Yeah. 
or yeah, it's yeah, chemical. But, but you know what we're talking about? Yeah. That kind of band-aid. They just went and they just went. Forget it. I'm just gonna rip it off now. <clears throat> and then they just ripped it off, grit their grit their teeth, and just did it. So, they became men that day. Yes, but they uh, yeah, they have the the price points we said and the uh, launch dates, which they're both going to be arriving on November 10th, which is maybe a lot sooner than I thought was going to be. Well, they had said the fall. They had said November, November 10th. All right. November is usually when they release things. But you you normally think that, like, when they announce a thing like that, they give it more than a month or more than, like, just a couple months, really. Like, so it, it maybe seems a little crazy to me that it's, like, just within a couple months, it's going to be available because normally that seems like the kind of thing that they'd want to like build up the hype for quite a while. Right? It's true. Uh, and I wonder how much of the uh, delay in releasing this information is maybe COVID related. I mean, I'm sure that's the excuse they're going to give anyways. Mm-hmm. They probably had this information pre COVID ready, but my guess is that maybe they were just waiting for PlayStation to make the first move so that they could maybe swoop in and do something, but since that wasn't happening, maybe they got a little gun-shy and just went, you know what, forget it, let's just put the information out there, it's getting too late. Entirely possible, and uh, November is traditionally the month when Microsoft releases new Xbox consoles, alright, September is usually the month when Sony releases their new consoles as well. Yeah. So was Sony maybe going to do a surprise reveal and just be like, hey guys, it's available now. And also it's Ten bucks cheaper. What? Oh my god! Sony wins everything! Yeah. Now with new hat. Yeah. (laughs) So it'll be very interesting to see what Sony's plan is at this point. Will they do, like, same price? Will they go way cheaper? Will it be more expensive? I don't think it'll be more expensive. You almost can't do that at this point, right? And not really. I mean... You have to be within a certain ballpark of your competition. I mean, look what happened when Sony had the initial price points of the PS3 and how outlandish those were. Yeah, they were like $800 and everything else was like way cheaper than that. And then they finally had to like eventually basically concede and start selling it at a loss because they weren't moving. They weren't moving and they, I think, didn't they have to redesign the console too and that's what brought the uh, price point down? Yeah, but if you know, it's, for the first two years. For the first two years, yeah. Like, though, by redesigning the console, they kind of ended up killing all the backwards compatibility because those first two years worth of PlayStation 3s, you were able to play PlayStation 1, 2, and 3 games on them. That's true. Which made them kind of very highly sought after because most PlayStation 3s that are out there only play PlayStation 1 and 3 games because one's emulated. It's easy to emulate PlayStation 1 and then PlayStation 3 can't really emulate PlayStation 2 games on that system. It's just too hard, but yeah, so but it was a good move because it ended up eventually you know, doing good numbers, but for those first little bit, it was like ugh, they weren't moving a lot of units because it was like, this is way too expensive. Who's going to spend $800 on a video game console? Yeah, exactly. So, we know that Sony, with the PS5, they have the uh, version that has the optical disc, there's the all-digital one that has the optical disc removed. What the difference in price will be between those two, yet to be announced. Uh, but if you are someone in the market for these Xbox consoles, the Series X or the Series S, uh, but maybe you just uh, 
uh, don't have all that scratch up front, don't have the cash, maybe times are tough, and you just need to spread it out over some payments. Microsoft has announced that they are expanding their financing program, which is called Xbox All Access, to uh, 12 new countries, including Australia, Canada, France, South Korea, uh, other parts of the United States, the United Kingdom, amongst uh, those dozen, or in and amongst those dozen. So how it's going to work for this financing program is, one, understand right off the hop, you're going to end up paying more than what the single purchase price point for the console is. Oh, that's always how financing works. I mean, you know, like when you're renting to own anything or leasing to own anything or anything like that, or even just paying off a loan, if you get a loan to, you know, buy a thing, there's always interest on it. And, you know, if it's a particularly big loan and the the payments are particularly small, the first, like, bunch of payments, you're basically only going to be paying interest. So be very careful of that. Be aware, uh, if this is something you might look at, know that, uh, for the, uh, Xbox Series S, you're paying $24.99 a month, and for the Xbox Series X, you're paying $34.99 per month. Now, I believe those are still US dollars. And those uh, are 24 month plans. So, yes, they are. So if you think about, you know, the price of $34.99, $34.99 times 24, that's a lot more than $4.99. Sure is. So, I think what that's in around eight hundred. If I'm going off the top of my head, uh, if you well three forty times two, you know that's six eighty right there plus another uh, hundred twenty. So yeah, it's about eight hundred. I'd say so eight hundred if uh, is what you're paying for the Xbox Series X to the financing as opposed to five hundred US dollars right up front. Yeah. But I guess it's also the trade-off. Like, you get to play it now without saving if you do it this way. And, you know, $34 might be a lot more easy to swallow once a month over the course of a couple of years rather than just trying to save that up without playing it, especially if you really, really want to play it. Obviously, you know, use your better judgment, but don't go bankrupt over it, please. It's not worth it. <laughs> it's not worth it. So there is that. But to sweeten the pot, Microsoft also announced this week uh, a value-added proposition. Uh, they announced that as part of their Xbox Game Pass Ultimate program that coming uh, this holiday season, they haven't said specifically when, but sometime this holiday season, November, December, whenever, holiday season, the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate uh, membership that you purchase will also get you access to EA Play at no additional cost. EA Play is EA's online game streaming service that used to be called EA Origin. I believe it was also EA Access and also previously Origin Access uh, on PC. So that is a platform that's going to get you access to over 60 EA games, including, of course, all the sports titles, Titanfall, Need for Speed, Battlefield, Mass Effect, The Sims games, yada, yada, yada. Uh, you get free trials of up to 10 hours in there for brand new games that are not covered under the membership, so, uh, and some other extra members only challenges and rewards. All that, you're getting a full-fledged membership to EA Play in the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate plan. Which is pretty good. That's it. Like, there's a, a lot hell of good of stuff in EA Play. I mean, EA's got a good solid roster of games. They sure do, and that is free with your subscription. Yeah. So you're getting the Microsoft side of things plus EA as well. 
that's a damn good value-add proposition. Yeah, I think so. So kudos to Microsoft. We'll see if Sony fires back. Maybe they strike up a deal where their PlayStation uh, service will get you access to Ubisoft's platform. Yeah. I mean, that'd be pretty good as well. So a tit for tat, if you will. But uh, we have no further details on Sony's platform, what they're going to announce, when they're going to announce it. Uh, the internet was uh, believing that this week is when we would have learned details about Sony's PlayStation 5 release plans, but of course, that has not come to pass unless they announced it during our recording, in which case we'll look like fools, but not much we can do about that because Sony sometimes are jerks. These yeah. things happen, but there's only so much we can do about it. So again, the Xbox Series X, 500 US dollars. The Xbox Series S, 300 US dollars. Financing, a lot. But it's also going to, uh, or the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate plan is going to come with access to EA Play. And all of the next-gen consoles, well, not all, I should say, both of the next-gen consoles from Microsoft coming out on November 10th. I believe all around the world. I have not read if it's region-specific, so I'm going to take a leap. I'm going to assume that it's all around the world. Yeah, probably. So... What do you think? 500 for the Xbox Series X? I mean, that's US. What that calculates to in Canadian dollars, I don't know at the moment. Yeah. Because the currency uh, exchange rate's constantly fluctuating. Yeah, and especially these days in these COVID days where the economies around the world are kind of getting, you know, the crap kicked out of them. So, who knows? Who knows what tomorrow's going to bring? Who knows what country's economy's going to bounce back first? Maybe... Maybe Canada will bounce back before the United States and our dollar will be super strong. Ooh. I doubt it. But bring, <laughs> bring back the days of the American peso. Yeah. Remember those short-lived glory days when the Canadian dollar was worth more than the American dollar? That's right. I think it was, what, like 10 years ago? It was 10 years ago, if not longer. It was, I believe, uh, I think the exchange rate was something like a dollar ten Canadian for a dollar of... Uh, no, you paid a, one Canadian dollar and you got like a dollar ten American back. Yeah, I think that's the high point it got to. Yeah, like and it was pretty ridiculous, which is something we'd never seen in our lifetimes and we've never seen since. No, <laughs> no, we haven't. Those were wild days, wild short-lived days that I, didn't last last for very long. I thoroughly enjoyed calling it the American peso. Yep. Don't know if anyone else did. I don't care. <laughs> So, uh, but what do you think? 500 for the big one, 300 for the smaller one? I don't know. The 500 price point for the Series X strikes me as actually kind of reasonable. Yeah, I think it does seem kind of reasonable. I mean, I was half expecting 599 for the Pro, but for the Series X, sorry, whatever you want to call it. The Listen, naming scheme's stupid. Yeah, their name, yeah. PlayStation kind of got it right, you know, with the regular version, then the Pro version. Though, I do think it's a little bit suspect that you need to have two versions, but whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, seems reasonable. I mean, honestly, the 300 one seems reasonable as well. If you're not someone who normally cares about, you know, trade, like there, you know how there's always people who every time a new game console comes out, they trade in all their old games and they do all that. Um, if you're not one of those people, and, you know, you don't mind having your old console or having to set your old console up to play your old games. 
I think the optical drive version seems perfectly reasonable, unless you're absolutely hung up on having physical media, then that's fine too, but yeah. To save 200 bucks, like right off the hop, seems not bad. It does. It's, uh, it's, it seems a good price point. Yeah, like, and, I, and it's basically going to run as almost as well as it's not going to be the you know killer bleeding edge that the Series X is trying to be. Yeah, which even then the Series X pales in comparison to current uh, PC gaming rigs. Yeah, mind you, it is also a f- actually a fraction of the cost of crazy PC rigs. Like, depending on what CPU even you're going to get, like you might spend a few thousand on a CPU alone. True enough. I've been counting motherboard or memory or hard drives or anything. Cooling systems. Or video cards. Like, that, yeah, that's going to be where your big money is. Especially some of the crazy ones NVIDIA released uh, or announced last week. Yep. That are like, what, four cards in one or something? They just look huge. Yeah, they're basically like like how you would run like normal normal NVIDIA cards. Like you can run a couple of them in like crossfire mode and they just kind of help each other out and do that, but this is kind of like one massive crossfire card that's just sort of, you know, huge and crazy and good luck installing that on a regular PC. You're going to need a crazy motherboard with all these slots. <laughs> like, my God. So, yeah. So, I mean, the price points seem reasonable, especially yeah. for what the, uh, they're delivering. Uh, so we'll certainly be intrigued to find out what Sony has to say, uh, if and when they eventually release details on the PlayStation 5. Do they match the price points? Do they go a bit over with uh, some sort of extra enticement? Maybe Sony includes a game to justify a higher price point. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, maybe if there is a higher if there's a higher price point for Sony, I don't know. We don't know. Uh, so that is at least one aspect of the fall, uh, the Christmas shopping season, kind of uh, come into focus now with Microsoft. Uh, another company recently. Uh, detailed their plans for the fall Christmas uh, shopping season. And that company is, as you may have picked up on the fact, it's not Sony because we haven't said anything big from them. No, it is the other company in the gaming space, Nintendo. Yeah, so they've basically made the 35th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers their focus this upcoming fall season. And as they should, I mean, 35 is a pretty good milestone for anything, let alone a video game, which, you know, it's not the new media anymore. Video games are now, have been around for quite some time, and Mario is just as iconic as any other character. I mean, when you think of iconic characters, Mario's way up there. Like, you know, you, like, of course, there's like the classic ones like Mickey Mouse, and, you know, you have like a, you know, Ronald Bugs Bunny. Mc, Bugs Bunny, and then even corporations otherwise, like, you, know, you have Ronald McDonald or the Burger King and things like that. But no, like in video games, you're going to think of Mario. Like, if people think, who's a, name a video game mascot? You're probably going to say Mario, if not, you know, maybe Pac-Man or something, but that's not really a mascot, but name a video game mascot, Mario. Mario is like the figurehead of Nintendo. Certainly, and he's in that place, and uh, really, the popularity of the NES is what has helped usher in the modern era of video gaming. Yeah. Recovering after the giant collapse of the Atari, yeah. uh, the Atari systems, after that just burned hot and fast and burned out course, leading to games and systems being dumped into, well, a dump. Yeah, just because of, you know, Atari basically not being able to pay for storage and everything and going into, like, extreme receivership. And Yeah, the, the video game crash of 
82, I think it was, was a real thing. Mm -hmm. Very real thing. Like devastating financially to a lot of people. But yeah, Nintendo was one of the key players in making it bounce back and, you know, in no small part due to Super Mario Brothers, which was sort of like a mind blowing game when it came out because of smooth side to side scrolling and, you know, the, the, the level design, the physics, everything about it was sort of revolutionary. Yeah, each level was totally different from the last, yeah. and none of them would repeat. Yeah, nothing but, nothing repeated. There was no, like, it wasn't just one screen at a time. Like, the level felt like a living thing from start to finish, and it literally changed video games, I would say. It, it absolutely did. That's... Uh, uh, that's not an overstatement, not, not hyperbole in the slightest. So uh, Nintendo recently held one of their direct infomercials to announce their plans for Mario's 35th anniversary, which technically I think may have already happened or would have happened at some point in the month of September. Yeah, I think so. This is one of the things we, we learned from a couple years ago when we did uh, uh, Mario or Nintendo 30th anniversary show was that no one knows the exact date <laughs> that Mario or Super Mario Brothers and the NES were released because they were rolled out incrementally in different parts of the United States. In very small test markets, basically. Yes. So different cities got it at different times. So it wasn't until, oh God, probably 86 that there was just a wide national release. Yeah. But the official day and date of when things came to the United States, no one knows for sure. That is just lost to the annals of history. Everything is just September 85. And that's what history regards it as. Yeah. Okay, fine. So, uh, to honor the 35th anniversary, Nintendo has announced a couple of things. Well, not a couple of things. Actually, several things. Yeah, a lot of different things. So, the big one that got a lot of attention was the announcement of Super Mario 3D All-Stars, which is coming out actually next week. Coming out on September 18th. So, a bit of a surprise reveal. Yeah, a Bit of a surprise reveal indeed. Uh, this sort of is a, you know, like, in 1993, Super Mario All-Stars was released, which brought, you know, the first three Mario games for the NES, plus Lost Levels, which was the J Japanese-only release of Super Mario Brothers 2, all onto one Super Nintendo cartridge with, you know, updated graphics for the current generation system. And then they did the same now for three of their, you know, 3D games, going from Mario 64 up to the first Mario Galaxy. Of course, with Super Mario Sunshine in between. Doesn't make sense for me to not say that one as well. It's a three-game <laughs> three set, as opposed to a four-game set from the last one, but yeah. So that's what they consider the 3D All-Stars, I suppose. Yes, so suck it if you were a fan of Mario Galaxy 2. Um, that is left, and it feels like they've, uh, they're omitting that from the history of, Mar of Mario here. I don't know why. I'm sure they have their reasons. Maybe it's because Mario Galaxy was the first of the Mario games on the Wii, and then Galaxy 2 came later on, so uh, maybe its prominence is uh, uh, lacking for that reason. Whatever the reason, uh, the three games, again, triple back, apparently each game has been optimized, quote-unquote, for the Nintendo Switch, so they'll feature some higher resolutions, smoother gameplay, uh, as well... Uh, a neat little addition to this uh, triple, this three-pack here is that there's a music player mode which will allow you to enjoy the music from any of the three games at any time. Yeah. Just all there, basically a jukebox. Yeah, and that works also when the system's off. Very similar to the jukebox that they had built into the uh, Super Smash Brothers. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the, yeah, like that, that one of course is a lot more impressive because it had stuff from a whole shitload of game franchises. This is just Mario, but still, like if you think about the scores to all these games, like Super Mario Galaxy had a crazy orchestral score with like tons and tons of tracks in it. Sure did. So yeah, that alone is kind of cool. And again, comes out September 18th. Uh, so I was a little disappointed that they didn't have Mario Galaxy 2 in there. That I mean, if you're doing a th- in All-Stars of the 3D games, that seems like it should be in there. Yeah, I mean, the original All-Stars had four games, including one that was never really even released in North America. Might as well just have it, cap it off at four games, right? Exactly. Uh, to balance the, the original All-Stars with this All-Stars and... I don't know. I find that this one doesn't have that extra added new thing that you didn't see, whereas the first All-Stars had lost levels. Yeah, and not to mention the original All-Stars, the games were basically completely visually redone with what would have been standard graphics for Super Nintendo at the time. Like, they were visually very much improved over the NES versions of the games. So... In a way, it almost feels like what should have happened was maybe they should have used all the sprites and assets and stuff from Super Mario Odyssey to basically remake these games instead, but they didn't do that. And I mean, I get why. Obviously, 3D stuff is a lot more expensive than 2D, so there's a cost prohibition there, so makes sense, but still. It seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah, it, it does, in a little bit of a way. Uh, now, one thing we should uh, mention is that uh, whether you're looking to buy this game physically or digitally, there's a limited window for you to get this Mario All-Stars game. Yeah. So that is an, a catch to this. That's a very... It's a weird catch. And it's it's one I don't really understand, but for some reason, you only have until March to do it? Yeah, you have until the end of March 2021 to get this game. Now, apparently there's going... The physical copies are going to be limited editions. Yeah. In that there's a limited r- print run of it. So your best bet is to get it digitally to ensure you actually get the game. But even then, you will not be able to buy the game digitally after March 2021. I don't know why. That's just what they're going with. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to but, me. But However, another new game that they announced to celebrate Mario's 35th is called Super Mario Brothers 35, which is Nintendo... Uh, following in the success they had with uh, Tetris 99, except they're applying, applying the Battle Royale mechanic to the original Super Mario Brothers side-scrolling game. And in this game, instead of 99 players, like Tetris 99, there's 35 players taking on a Mario Brothers course at the same time. Last Mario standing, or running, is the winner. And you get points and coins and bragging rights uh, against all the rest of your opponents that you outlasted during the game. So... Uh, as you go through and play the level in this Mario 35, as you bump off and knock off enemies, those the ghosts of those enemies basically go and haunt the levels of your opponents. And the same thing for them. Enemies they knock off goes to your screen. There's an item uh, randomizer that can bring benefits to you. And I guess as the uh, level, as you play, goes on, and more and more enemies get killed. So if it really gets down to the last two or last three of you, um, your screen's going to be just loaded with enemies. Yeah. And make it almost unmanageable. Yeah, probably be nearly impossible to play. We'll see. So this one, much like uh, Super Mario 3D All-Stars, also available for a limited time. It is 
available from October 1st to March 31st of next year. So, and you need to have a Switch Online subscription in order to play it. So be aware of that, but still, looks fun. Looks interesting, a new, uh, neat new idea. Uh, not a new idea necessarily, but neat that Nintendo is bringing it from the Wii U to the Switch is Super Mario 3D World. That is another title that they announced as part of this Mario 35th anniversary. It is coming to the Switch on February 12th of next year. And this one looks to be more of a straight-up port, but they are including a, a new portion to the game called Bowser's Fury. Now, it's a, a new collection of levels, but Nintendo hasn't really given more details about it than that. And whenever I was reading this, uh, you know, Super Mario 3D World plus, plus Bowser's Fury, I kept wanting to read it as Bowser's Furry, because this is the Mario game with the cat suit power-up. Yeah. Where they're in, like, giant cat onesies with their faces still visible. Yeah. Which, it's a cool mechanic, by the way. Like, I, I liked it. You know, I, the first time I tried it was in um, Mario Maker 2, and seemed cool to me. I didn't really play any of these, uh, you know, in Super Mario 3D World games, because I didn't have a Wii U. So it's it's exciting to me that this is getting released for the Switch, because... I will play it. It looks good. And you'll have a new portion of levels called Bowser's Fury. Not, Fury, not, not Furry. Furry. Nope. <laughs> uh, but to coincide with the release of this game next February, Nintendo going to be releasing a two-pack of Amiibos with Cat Mario and Cat Peach. Yeah. So. Okay. I don't understand the cat thing. The internet and its obsession with cats still confounds me. <laughs> so that is where I'm coming from. So yes. that's... That didn't really twig uh, my attention at all, pique my interest that much, but this next thing did, and it's Mario-related, but not really tied into the 35th anniversary. It's kind of a standalone thing coming out uh, next month on October 16th, and this, to me, is the most interesting thing of the whole lot of what Nintendo announced. It's called Mario Kart Home Circuit. Yeah, and it looks cool as hell. I mean, it what it is is basically... Obviously, it's a game for the Switch, but what it also is is a little remote control car that has a camera in it. It looks like a Mario Kart cart, so you can get... I think there's four different varieties available, Mario, Luigi... Uh, I think to, to start, there's only Mario or Luigi. Okay, so but it, it looks like there's going to be others at some point, but for now, Mario and Luigi are the, the two carts available, so you get this... It's a radio-controlled car that is controlled by the Switch that has a camera in it that is an augmented reality camera that it basically turns whatever room in your house into a Mario Kart track. It does. And how it does that is it comes with, I guess, cardboard gates that you have to drive through that have different images that the uh, camera and likely a sensor inside the camera reads, transmits the data back to your Switch for the processing, and reads it as the information of you pass through gate one and looks for gate two, etc., etc., and processes the game that way. But as you're looking at things on the screen of your Switch, you're seeing the perspective from your car, your RC car, as it's going around, but overlaid with digital imagery of opponents driving, other Koopas driving and trying to mess you up. Maybe there's a blue shell coming towards you. Maybe you hit a uh, question mark block and got a power-up, like a mushroom. That yeah. you can use and experience an actual boost to your physical RC car. 
if someone hits you with uh, an ink blot or something, your car will basically stop dead. Or if you're hit with a shell or something, your RC car in real life basically stops dead. Yeah. So there's a real world impact to this virtual weapon that's used against you. Yeah, whether or not it actually wrecks your living room or not is another story, but <laughs> it, it does look cool as hell. It really does. Now, it's going to be releasing again on October 16th. Uh, it's just one car per pack. So there's Mario or Luigi, I believe. I have read uh, the price point being around 100 bucks US. So kind of pricey, but still looks really interesting. It also looks like, you know, depending on your layout of your house or whatever you have available around you, you could have basically an infinite number of tracks. You could. So that's that's the big selling point here. You're not just stuck with the same X number of tracks that, you know, a Mario Kart game comes with normally. You get your houses or other friends' houses or other other rooms, other in, your rooms in your house are your whole house can become like a big track. So that's really cool. That true. I don't see, uh, I'm just spitballing here, but I don't see why you wouldn't be able to take this outside too. Yeah, exactly. And just have outside courses. Yeah. You know, we're coming up into the winter months. Ice course. <laughs> just going to throw it out there uh, through the sandbox and maybe that's your desert racetrack. <laughs> so this to me looks really interesting and, uh, uh, it's kind of it's Nintendo going back to the old idea of making toys because when the NES first released, it was sold as a toy. Hence, why it had Rob the Robot bundled with it. It was an electronic toy, but you know, hard on the toy side because it was manufactured by Mattel. But yeah, so this is a really neat idea. But speaking of uh, digital physical things, uh, Nintendo also announcing as part of their uh, Mario Anniversary Direct a new Game and Watch of all things, to celebrate Mario's 35th anniversary. This one is called Game & Watch Super Mario Brothers, coming out on November 13th. Though it's not really a new Game & Watch, let's just be clear. There's not any new Game & Watch. This is just Mario Brothers... Is it even just the first one? It might be... Maybe it did have Lost Levels in it as well? It does. It's got the so first two Mario Brothers games. Well, yeah. the first two Japanese Mario Brothers games. Yeah, so they're... They're just in the form factor of a Game & Watch device. And also there's one of those actual LCD Mario Game & Watch games built into it as well. Yeah, I believe called Ball, yeah. where it's Mario's face, but he's juggling balls. Yeah. Just a little little spoiler alert for those younger people who don't remember those types of games. They're not fun. <laughs> they're not good games. This is, this is 100% for the older people in the room who remember that those games and just, you know, had fond memories of them. I never liked them when I was a kid because I just, I, I saw right through what they were and yeah, was basically like, oh, it's, it's literally just like the same technology in your, you know, like your digital Casio watch. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's kind of lame. It's very lame, but yeah, it is cool though that like this is an actual L, like LCD screen and it's got, LED. Uh, LED screen. And it's got, it, obviously, like the, the modern backlighting and all the stuff that you'd expect from an LED Full screen. Full color. Yeah. So, and it does actually have, it does function as a watch, which is cool. And it's, like, got some pretty elaborate animations and stuff that happen. So that alone would be kind of fun. But, yeah, the gaming things, like, it's another way to play the first two Japanese Mario games. In English. In English, of course. Yeah. 
but still the first two. So maybe you never played Lost Levels. Maybe you missed out on the first Mario All-Stars game, uh, which it came with, and you haven't really experienced it since. Yeah, it is on Nintendo Switch Online, but maybe you haven't been keeping up with that. Entirely possible. Uh, the voiceover uh, talking about this Game & Watch as part of the direct infomercial says that there's 35 neat Easter eggs uh, bundled in this Game & Watch Super Mario Brothers that are, I believe, are all Mario and Nintendo World-themed, so sure. Yeah. Go with that. If you can get your hands on it, as it seems like it's uh, going to be hard to come by this holiday season, even though it's you know not coming out for two more months, I believe you looked into it, and some places were already sold out of pre-orders. Yeah, I, I, I followed a link to the Amazon UK page, and yeah, it was already... It just said, this item is sold out. <laughs> I, oh. Then I thought, oh, well, I thought it was in pre-order. Well, I guess it's they've sold out of pre-orders, so... Huh. Okay, hot item, I guess. All right, so uh, that's going to be hawked for five to ten times normal face value on uh, eBay and other places. Oh, yeah, that's, that's all that's going to happen with these things. And again, if you can get your hands on it, good on you, but still, limited time, I believe it goes away at the end of March... If supplies even last that long, which I doubt. Yeah. So Nintendo kind of fleshing out some of their fall season, their holiday shopping season, uh, big ticket items. Well, quote unquote big ticket items uh, with a lot of Mario stuff, uh, such as 3D All-Stars, the RC carts and whatnot, and the Game & Watch game. So cool. I mean, prior to this, we hadn't really heard much of Nintendo's plans for the fall at all. Yeah. Likely all delayed because of the COVID and production issues and things of that nature. Okay, understandable. Uh, so Nintendo had that direct infomercial about Mario's 35th anniversary. And in a week's time, they are releasing Mario 3D All-Stars. Cool. Uh, so I guess the other big game that they have coming out this holiday season uh, is one that they just announced a day or two ago, depending on when you're listening to this, but... A new Hyrule War, uh, Hyrule Warriors game is coming out on November 20th for the Switch. This one called Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. And it's actually canon, uh, as it's going to be a prequel to Legend of Zelda The Breath of the Wild. Or just Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I added an extra the in there. <laughs> Sue me, but nevertheless. So, prequel, 100 years before Breath of the Wild. And the official blurb on this reads, quote, witness the events of the Great Calamity firsthand and try to save Hyrule from destruction, end yeah. quote. So it's it's a sequel to Hyrule Warriors, if you ever played it before. It was made by Koei Tecmo uh, back in 2014, which is... And they're making this one, too. Yeah, they're making this one, too, so it should be the same level of quality. It's, it's a hack-and-slash take on Zelda. Uh, it's not a traditional Zelda game. It's more like, like I said, hack-and-slash and just... More, more for more ridiculous visual excess where you're Link and you're fighting a thousand of enemy or something. Like it's, it's, it's more like epic scale, just beat 'em upping. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, this one will be done in the visual style of Breath of the Wild, so that's good. Yeah, uh, as opposed to the six-year-old Hyrule Warriors game, <laughs> which does not look like Breath of the Wild. No, it certainly does not. So it'll have some familiar characters from Breath of the Wild in there as well. Uh, I'm just going to go out there and say, this one seems like maybe a C-list or D-list Nintendo title. Yeah. It seems like Nintendo is just kind of like not making much of an effort this fall, perhaps 
in light of the fact that you have two new consoles hitting the market, so why release a big, you know, title, like a sequel to Breath of the Wild, or... Like a proper new Zelda game, or a new Metroid game, or something like a big, a real, something that hits really big. Mm-hmm. Though maybe they might release something else, too. Like, we don't know, I don't really know if they have a proper release schedule, or like a schedule for their Nintendo Directs. They might come out with a new one at any time, right? That's true. They randomly drop those. Uh, they're not stuck uh, or beholden to a set schedule that they have announced. It's more just kind of like whenever they want and whenever they have stuff to announce. Yeah. So we might, we might get another Nintendo Direct update before the holiday season and we might find out actually that there is actually a big AAA A-list Nintendo game coming out, but that remains to be seen. So far, all we've got is our C or D list Hyrule Warriors sequel. So. And all this Mario stuff, which is cool. And all this Mario stuff, which is cool. And it's uh, the 35th anniversary, which is cool. Makes sense. Uh, If they have a big title to release, maybe December would make more sense. You know, a month after everyone's bought their new consoles. We'll see. Nintendo can always just change up their plans. Or maybe they're just holding stuff back for next year. When all the hullabaloo of the Xbox Series whatevers and PlayStation 5 have just kind of calmed down. Yeah, and hopefully after COVID has also you know, maybe been dealt with. Or better dealt with. Better and, dealt with, anyway, yeah. Yes, and uh, who knows, we'll see. So, Nintendo, a bunch of Mario stuff this fall, and uh, a little sprinkle of Zelda in there as well, or Legend of Zelda in there as well. So, all right. So, make of that what you will if you have to start assembling your Christmas list, plan for uh, what you are getting people for this holiday season. Now you know that is what is out there. We still have yet to hear from Sony and their plans for the PlayStation 5, so that will need to be brought into account as well for things, but uh, there you go. Now you know. Again, the Xbox Series X and Series S coming out on November 10th for $500 and $300, respectively. Mario 3D All-Stars coming out on September 18th. Uh, Super Mario Bros. 35, that Battle Royale game coming out October 1st. Mario 3D World coming out February 12th. Mario Kart Live is October 16th. Game & Watch Super Mario Brothers is sometime in October, if you're lucky enough to get your hands on it. And Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, that is set for release on November 20th. And in there somewhere is going to be PlayStation 5. Yeah. Or maybe Sony does a surprise drop. PlayStation 5, end of September. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it, but maybe. Who knows? Who knows? But... So that is uh, what we have to look forward to, but perhaps at this moment in time we should uh, decide to uh, look backwards in time as we uh, celebrate uh, some things that are long and gone as we uh, now get into our Blast from the Past, the segment of the show where we like to take some time to celebrate, again, things that are... um, celebrating milestone anniversaries that are noteworthy, that we think bear discussion once again. They could be TV shows, they could be movies, they could be video games, hence the nature of our program, perhaps even music albums that we think are worth another listen, or if you haven't listened to them before. So we have three items this week, and they're all television series, and they're all kind of around the same time. Yeah. They're all from the... All three of them are from the 90s. Yeah, like... Well, early and mid-90s. Yes. And then, in a couple of cases, going into the late 90s, but uh, or in one case, going into the late 90s, but 
not true of the case. It's kind of going into the yeah. mid nineties. We'll say, um, yeah, I think maybe we should start with the oldest and then work our way forward. All right. The oldest of the three that we're going to talk about is an animated series that made its debut on September 7th, 1990. Uh, this is one of the cornerstone programs for what eventually became known as the Disney Afternoons. This is a series that was a, a wild new take on characters from the Jungle Book. This is Tailspin. Yeah. So Tailspin, um, if you are of the same age as us, it's one of many television theme songs that have been in your head for the last almost 30 years. And will never leave. Yeah, it's never going to go away. It's just there forever now. It's like, remember all that other stuff that you wish you could remember? Nope. Tailspin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, great. I mean, if you ever hear someone just casually say, bear and grin, it's, well, it's going to start playing in your like, head. Like, damn it. There's Baloo the bear. He's flying an airplane. There's that whole scene from the intro where, like, they're, the they cut up a pineapple in the... <laughs> <laughs> With the propellers? The propeller, and it gets in the guy's eyes. Ah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's... Uh, and Tailspin, it was a weird... It was all of the shows in that... We've talked about this before in the past when, you know, talking about some of the other shows... In that Disney afternoon, like Darkwing Duck, Duck Tales, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Goof Troop, etc., 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 a lot of them were really weird shows. Like when you think about them, they just really took kind of classic Disney or other characters and really put them in a weird modern or just out of context. Like in this case, Tailspin, it's it's what you know, according to Wikipedia, one of the main genres that it is is diesel punk, which is basically like. It's similar to steampunk, but uh, it combines the aesthetics of diesel-based technology of the interwar period through to the 1950s with retro-futuristic technology and postmodern sensibilities, which makes perfect sense when you think about it, like, because you have airplanes that are, you know, obviously running on gas and stuff, but they're made of, like, like, like whiskey barrels and stuff. <laughs> so, and, you know, a bunch of, like, modern-looking technology like juicers and blenders and things like that made out of, like, wood and stuff like that. So it's, like, very kind of odd. But, yeah, it was, like, Baloo the Bear was supposed to be running, I believe it was, like, a like a courier service. Yeah, it was uh, an air freight service for uh, uh, Suzanne Summers, uh, who did the voice uh, for Becky in this business. How exactly he comes into being the the pilot for this uh, air freight service, I don't know. Uh, I don't recall the first couple episodes of Tailspin, though I do have them on DVD. Uh, <laughs> but the, the setup is Blue the Bear, who you know from the Jungle Book, who basically is in the jungle and just will sing about the bare necessities of life and whatnot. Now in this context of being like a 1940s or 1950s, air freight pilot on his plane called the Sea Duck, which is a giant yellow freighter, or giant yellow just air freight uh, carrier. And he is employed by this woman named Becky, who uh, has is a single parent, has a young daughter named Molly, and works in uh, this town called Cape Suzette, which is basically a port town where stuff comes and goes, and Blue also takes up with the uh, a young sidekick named Kit Cloudkicker, yeah, who's another small bear who's basically abandoned by his family, and 
They go off on adventures, A, delivering goods, and B, the hijinks that ensue from delivering goods. Yeah. Because in addition to having to get from point A to point B, they also have to deal with sky pirates. Yeah, who are, you know, that's a whole thing. Like the main one whose name is Don Carnage. Carnage. Carnage, sorry. Don Carnage. And then, you know, there's a whole bunch of other pirates as well. But then there's, uh, like, a, a lot of different weird factions of characters, like Fembrians, who were, like, supposed to be almost, like, Napoleonic, like, I don't know what you would even call them. Like, they're, I'm having a hard time remembering exactly what they were, but, like, they were almost, like, the French army or something. <laughs> kind of weird, but... And then there was Khan Industries run by Sheer Khan. That's right. Who's kind of like the big evil shadow corporation in town. Yeah. Who... You'd see Sheer Khan every so often, but it would not be for that long. And it'd be Sheer Khan, from the Jungle Book, basically standing upright, anthropomorphized. Wearing a suit. A power suit. A, a nice power suit. Like an 80s power suit. Yeah. Because he's a titan of industry in Cape Suzette. Yes, of course. And every so often, uh, Blue, when he needs to relax, he would just go off to, uh, Louis and meet up with his friend King Louis, who is a bartender at a juice bar. Yeah. Louis' last stand, I believe, or Louis' place, or whatever it was called. It was, yeah. So, weird show. I think it is on Disney Plus, if that's a thing you have. Um, oh, I think everything's on Disney Plus. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's worth checking out as a, purely as a curiosity. Ran for four seasons, actually. It was, uh, I think one of the, um, more successful or maybe one of the more distinct and memorable of the Disney afternoon shows. So according to Wikipedia, it said it only ran for one season, but that one season had 65 episodes. So that's a lot of episodes. That is a lot of episodes. Like technically the original release was only about a year, but it was ran in reruns for like 10 years. Oh God. Yeah. So there were like 65 episodes goes a long way when you're running stuff on TV. And so, especially if it's not a linear storyline. Yeah, exactly. Like Tailspin, every episode was, you know, a capsule. Like nothing mattered. Like nothing spilled out. Nope. So every episode could be watched in isolation. So. And you can rewatch all 65 again on Disney Plus. Yeah, exactly. We, we are not being paid to plug Disney Plus. It's simply a statement of fact that's out there. Although we enjoy to be paid by. Uh, Disney for shilling Disney Plus, or at least free subscriptions. Yeah. If anyone out there can make that happen, you know, we're, we're not against it. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll talk. Let's say that. We'll talk. Uh, but Disney wasn't the only one doing wild cartoons in the 90s. If it wasn't a Disney cartoon, it was a Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah. So here, here's the weird thing about, I didn't actually realize this thing about these next two cart, well, they're, they're two cartoon shows that actually, the weird thing is they both debuted on the same day. And I remember the first time I saw them both, and I feel like it was, like, I I had it in my head where I'm like, no, they couldn't have been around the same time. Like, exa- like I had it in my head that maybe I actually saw them both at the same time. And I thought, nah, that couldn't have happened. Like, you know, shows debut at different times. But as it turns out, yeah, these shows both debuted on the same day. Sure did. And they both have a very similar sensibility, I would say. They sure do. Uh, so one is just a capitalization on a popular franchise. The other is Warner Brothers actually just continuing their trend of uh, just wild, zany animated series at the time. Giving Steven Spielberg 
full crazy reigns to do insane cartoons. Kind of, yes. Yeah. Uh, through Amblin tele- uh, Television, but in partnership with Warner Brothers. So a partnership that started with Tiny Toon Adventures in the very early 90s. That gave rise to Animaniacs. That gave rise to Pinky and the Brain. That gave rise to a very short-lived edition of uh, Pinky and... or uh, Pinky Elmira in the Brain? Yeah. Yeah. Which lasted one season and... The less said, the better. It was not anywhere near as good as Pinky and the Brain was. No, it was not. Just, it was garbage. And then after all that chain, there was this uh, show called Freakazoid that debuted on September 9th, 1995, that tried to carry that torch of just zany Saturday morning Warner Brothers cartoons for a new generation. Yeah. And I want to say it did. Didn't have the longest run. No, here's the other interesting thing. Both... The, both Freakazoid and the next series we're going to talk about ran for the same amount of time, almost the same amount of episodes. One, the Freakazoid ran for 24 episodes. The other series ran for 23 episodes. Both had two seasons, technically, I guess 12 episodes per season. Seasons are weird. Yeah. Seasons, like, they're I, arbitrary. Yeah, don't go by the season number, go by the episode count. But yeah, they, uh, they both were cancelled at about the same time. They both were introduced at the same time. Both kind of similar sensibilities, but I doubt that they both were being developed in tandem with one another. Like, there was probably one team developing Freakazoid and another team developing the other show. But, yeah, it's sort of interesting to the strength of, like, the writers and everything back then that they could come up with some some stuff that was kind of similar but different enough and also good. The the unfortunate thing is, I think Freakazoid is kind of lost to time, yeah. which is a shame because it was a really solid comedy cartoon. Yeah, it really was. It, it was Warner Brothers and Steven Spielberg kind of having fun with the superhero genre of cartoons, but also uh, playing a little bit with uh, the new thing known as the internet back then, because the genesis for their teenage protagonist who becomes a superhero is basically a computer bug. He, like, gets sucked into the internet, gets spit out, and he's the superhero known as Freakazoid. Yeah, and it's all, again, explained in a theme song that's been in my head for, like, you know, 25 years. In no small part, because the theme song is heavy on repetition. Oh, yeah. You hear Freakazoid, Freakazoid, Freakazoid. It's like, okay. (laughs) Over and over again, like, okay, yep. I don't remember much about the show, but I remember the theme song. Damn right. So the the premise is you have a teenage character uh, who, again, computer nerd, likes just mucking around on computers, get, types in, I think he, there's a bug that crawls across his computer or mouse or something, ends up typing some random string of characters, does, kid doesn't notice, hits enter, gets sucked into his computer, into the internet, gets bounced around the internet, and again, as I said, gets spit out. He's this superhero now known as Freakazoid who is like, Super speed. Um, he can stretch out. He can stretch out. He's got blue skin. Yeah, do all sorts of wacky things. Yeah, like have blue skin, wear a yeah. unitard <laughs> unashamedly, um, or a onesie, I guess it is. And when he's in freak, when he's actually freakazoid, he sounds a little like Jerry Lewis. Yep. Like he's absolutely channeling Jerry Lewis. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, it, with just wild. Um, off the wall comedy, you know, heavy on the slapstick comedy, 
ridiculous enemies. The the one that sticks out to me is an enemy, uh, a gangster character, goes by the name of Arms Akimbo, <laughs> who was basically like a child model who got his gig basically having his arms akimbo in that his fists would basically be at his hips and his elbows are pointed out in a very angular pointy fashion, basically with the space in between forming a triangle. They stuck like that and he became the gangster known as arms akimbo. Yeah. I I always liked that Freakazoid's arch enemy was the lobe. You know, he was, uh, he was supposed to be like a super genius whose entire head was just a giant brain. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but the funny thing about him, yeah, now I remember after, you know, rereading things on Wikipedia was that he was super intelligent, but like, you know, balanced that out with like really, really low self-esteem. <laughs> so he's his arch enemist, but arch enemy, but like, you know, one of his schemes was foiled once by Freakazoid by just when Freakazoid insulted his plan. <laughs> Which is like just, it really turns the whole superhero thing right on its head by being like, oh, this super genius evil mastermind came up with this plan. Ah, oh, that's stupid. Okay. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And just slinks away. Yeah, and that's how it ended. It's like, really? <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So as as we said, you can probably watch Tailspin on Disney+. Plus. I wish there was a similar service for the old Warner Brothers cartoons like this. Yeah, I mean... It, Maybe you could find parts of it on YouTube. You probably can find parts of it on YouTube, but yeah, I, I'm not aware of anywhere you could watch it legally streaming. Like, if anyone knows, please let us know. Info at thearcadeshow.com. Because yeah, like, these are, these are great. This series and this next series as well that we'll talk about as well. Yeah, Again, this, this third series, very much a product of the nineties. Absolutely. Now, when I, I when I initially uh, referenced it, I said this was an animated series that uh, was meant to capitalize on a very popular title and property of the time, which was a common occurrence in the '90s. Something gets hot, well, then it's cashed in on with, you know, uh, merchandise line, back to school products, clothes, action figures, some, maybe some sort of snacky snacks, and also a cartoon. Yeah. Because then, everyone followed in the path of the Ninja Turtles where you needed a cartoon. Although this one started life as a video game that got popular and then became a cartoon. We are now speaking about Earthworm Jim, the cartoon series. Yes. And yes, another theme song that has been in my head for 25 years. Earthworm Jim. Earthworm Jim. And again, another theme song, heavy on repetition. Yeah. Again, like tons of them. Like, so... Are they good songs? No. They're just, they were played a million times and we've all watched the episodes rerun a million times and then the songs, you couldn't really skip live TV back then. Nope. So, you know, you just heard the song over and over again. That's just how it was. And after a while, you started to like it. Yeah. But Earthworm Jim, I watched a lot of it. I really liked Earthworm Jim. I was actually upset when they canceled it because I was like, why? This show's fantastic. <laughs> I think it was the first instance I could remember as like a kid of like something I really, really liked just being canceled. And I didn't understand why. And thus you uh, came to learn and understand the cold hand of television executives. Yeah, pretty much. Because Earthworm Jim was fantastic. Now it was like, it was very much, 
I feel like a lot of the spirit of Earthworm Jim thankfully lived on a little bit in the tick. Because, True. like, some of the wackiness and just, like, the ideas for bad guys and things like that. Because that, that, here's the thing about some of these shows, even though it was, you know, just the TV version of, you know, a video game that was also a toy franchise and whatever else, it did have some of its own kind of distinct ideas that I don't really remember from the video game. And forgive me if they are also in the video game, but um, I really remember them the most from the TV show because it was, you know, there was no challenge to watching a TV show and there was, you know, the TV show was just kind of available on TV. And I don't seem to remember some of the weird ideas like Professor Monkey for a Head from the video game. I believe uh, I believe something like Psycho was in the game, but yeah. uh, they may have, may have had to flesh out the roster of villains a bit more than uh, than what you maybe had in the game. Uh, I believe something like Princess Slug for a Butt or Queen Slug for a Butt uh, was in the game. Yeah. Although that being said, I also did not play through all of the game. No, I didn't either. I, I was not that good back then on the Sega Genesis playing it, and I'm probably still not that good now. No, but yeah, a lot of the characters, just the names alone of the characters are funny. Like, like, uh, Lower Back Pain Man, or <laughs> Phlegmamus, the God of Nasal Discharge, or like, the Giant Fur Baron Trout, or, you know, uh, as I said, Professor Monkey for a Head, or, you know, a character named the narrator, who is the narrator, who Earthworm Jim, I do remember breaking the fourth wall with, you know, interacting with several times. Uh, yeah, lots of them, like, a guy who's, a guy whose name was Turns His Eyelids Inside Out Boy. <laughs> like, that was his superpower. <laughs> and Japius, the god of puns, again, yeah, like, it, it was, it was fun. Princess What's-Her-Name was another good name as well. That's right. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, I liked it. Like, it was first, totally wacky. It was insanely wacky. Like, the first time I saw, uh, Professor Monkey for a head, I thought, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? That's the guy's name? <laughs> it was, like, it was, I can't remember which one I laughed at more. That one or the Tick's Chairface Chippendale. Ooh. Like, they were both pretty ridiculous, but, yeah. It's, um... This one, this version of, of Earthworm Jim, it feels like they didn't have any constraints on them. Yeah. When ma- when developing the cartoon, and they just were told by the producers, come up with whatever zany, wacky ideas, and just go with it. And they did. Because the entire concept of Earthworm Jim, if you are of a younger age and unfamiliar with the franchise, is he's an Earthworm who had, like, a super powerful spacesuit fall onto him, and he inhabits the ba- the spacesuit and becomes a superhero. Yeah. I'd also like to mention that both Earthworm Jim and Freakazoid had fantastic voice casts. Like, but maybe Earthworm Jim, to a little bit of a greater degree, because there was a lot of people in this show that later became very famous people. Go on. Like, Earthworm Jim, obviously, was played by Dan Castelletta, who is the voice of Homer Simpson. Indeed. Forever and always. Forever and always, yes. But then, before they kind of became known more as, you know, in in other roles, Alex Borstein and Seth MacFarlane were both in Earthworm Jim. Really? Yeah. Uh, So was Patrick Warburton, and I assume that that's where they all kind of met each other first, probably. 
Like all those three people then later went on to be on Family Guy, one of the biggest shows of all time. True. Um, and yeah, then Mila Kunis, uh, uh, yeah, Mila Kunis is there as well. And yeah, like a lot of those people. But then interestingly enough, Ellen DeGeneres was in this show as well, as well as, you know, a couple of other voice standbys like, like, uh, Charlie Adler and Jim Cummings and, uh, John Cassier. But then Andrea Martin was also in it as Queen Slug for a Butt and the Torch Singer. Nice. So, yeah, if you don't know who Andrea Martin, bone up a little bit on your old SCTV. You'll know who Andrea Martin is. Get, get right with comedy. Yeah. Yeah. You need to fix that area if you don't know Andrea Martin. Yeah. But Freakazoid had a stellar voice cast, too. Like, the old Warner Brothers cartoons had solid voices. Maybe yeah. they didn't always have great name recognition, but they really fit the roles. Yeah. But also, like, a funny thing I noticed, like, Jim Cummings is sort of all over everything. Especially in the 90s. Especially in the 90s. Like, especially, like, mostly in the Disney ones, but yeah, he's in Earthworm Jim. He wasn't in Freakazoid, but he was in Earthworm Jim. And, yeah. You've you probably don't know who Jim Cummings is, but you've heard his voice before. Guaranteed. Absolutely. So, yeah. He's one of those guys where you would say, I know that voice. You'll never be able to say his name. Or just yeah. know any. Just you know his voice. He's done a whole bunch of roles, uh, especially in the 90s, where it seems like you could just kind of hop around very quickly and easily. Maybe from one studio lot to the next studio lot in a day or something. Yeah. Because he had a lot of concurrent roles doing voice acting. Be it on Earthworm Jim, which debuted on September 9th, 1995, or, well, as you said, not on Freakazoid, but Freakazoid, still with its own stellar act, voice actors, which debuted on September 9th, 1995. And for that, we started talking about Tailspin, which started on, on September 7th, 1990. It is now 30 years old. That's a long time. 30 years is nothing to sneeze at. No, it's not. That's some history. That's some lineage. Yes. I still enjoy Tailspin. I still think it's a just wild take on the Jungle Book characters. Yeah, it's super, it's, it's really out there. It's not, it, I don't think it's as crazy as Darkwing Duck in terms of concept or anything. No. But it's still wild. I still like the style and motif of it as like 1950s, you know, uh, travel industry type, uh, graphic design images and whatnot. Yeah, like really like that. That whole, like, we're in the tropical area and we're doing a bunch of tropical stuff, but it's clearly in the interwar period and, you know, things like that. So it's, it's a cool aesthetic. Yeah, certainly is. And then, you know, Darkwing Duck was like 1930s film noir. Yeah. Which, loved. <laughs> and then Goof Troop was just modern day. Yeah. Weird. And yeah, a lot of those shows were strange. That's true. But, uh, I mean, if you, even if you look at cartoons now, they have just wild concepts that, Try very hard to be wild and wacky. Yeah. And like over the top from the get go. Yeah, that's true. It, it's, it's a different time. It was a different time back then. It's a different time now. It'll be a different time in 10, 15 years time. Yeah. Of 20 course. years time. So nevertheless, that's what we enjoyed. The three cartoons. Uh, did you enjoy them as much as we did? Let us know. And if you know a place for us to, uh, to legally watch and stream some of the old Warner Brothers cartoons, like, Tiny Toons, Animaniacs, Freakazoid, and whatnot, uh, or maybe even something a bit more obscure like Earthworm Jim, let us know. You can send us an email, info at thearcadeshow.com, or hit us up through social media. We are on Twitter, uh, 
at The Arcade Show and on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Arcade Show. And we're also on iTunes and the Google Play Podcast Store. In case you haven't already subscribed to us, do so now. You can find reference to our pages on both of those platforms on our homepage of thearcadeshow.com. So until next time, good night, everybody. Good night. Yeah.